Hey, good morning, everybody. Good to see you. Thanks for being here on this beautiful morning. Thanks for coming to River Glen. Somebody told me that we have 130 people watching online. Great to have you with us. Grateful for the technology that allows us to uh, connect with you uh, today. Uh, last weekend, we launched a new series called Five, Way- Five Easy Ways to Wreck Your Life. If you missed it, you can, you can always go online and uh, watch those messages and get caught up. Hope you do that. Uh, throughout this series, we're learning some great ways to wreck your life, wreck your health, wreck your family, wreck your marriage, wreck your career. And uh, you're going, I just feel so blessed to be able to, to be here for this, right? But in this series, we're looking at a very personal, authentic, and uh, uh, transparent journal of a powerful and wealthy man by the name of King Solomon who had everything available, and yet he still wrecked his life. Early in his life, he asked God for wisdom. God gave him wisdom. God blessed him. Solomon wrote the book of Proverbs, which is a book of wisdom for us. But somewhere between that moment and the future, he, uh, he, he got off the rails, and he made many self-destructive uh, decisions that wrecked his life, wrecked his family, and even wrecked his nation in a way they never recovered from. And throughout Solomon's journal, it's called the book of Ecclesiastes in the Old Testament, we hear him say, don't do what I did. Let this be preventative medicine for you. Don't wreck uh, your life. And uh, last week we learned the first way to wreck your life, and that is to let pleasure uh, drive you. This week we're going to learn the second way to wreck your life, easy way to wreck your life, and that is let success consume you. And uh, let me ask, can success really wreck your life. You know, maybe you're like me and your initial reactions push back and, uh, you know, you say, can uh, succeeding and achieving and and getting awards and and bonuses, I mean, can that really wreck my life? And I get that. I get why you would push back. And you're right. The Bible doesn't condemn hard work. The Bible doesn't condemn success. In fact, it celebrates it. We find many people who achieve success in Scripture, many people who achieved affluence, But like any good thing that we have in our life, success has a shadow side, and we need to be aware of it. This drive for success, I think it really starts in childhood. That's why as little kids, we got these big dreams to be something successful. You know, we say, I want to be an astronaut. I want to be president of the United States. I want to be a rock star. When I was a little kid, I wanted to be a star athlete, but uh, I struggled at sports. I struggled trying to find one where I could really... Excel. I remember in high school, I went to West Dallas Central, and I went out for football uh, one year, but uh, I ended up way down on the depth chart. I was uh, the backup to the backup, and the coach, I remember he, I met with him one-on-one, and he encouraged me. He said, Ben, you really need to go to the weight room. You need to spend some time lifting weights, bulking up, you know, getting stronger, which I'm sure is just a shock, you know, to all of you. Uh, hearing, hearing that, that's a big surprise. But we had this weight room in our high school, and fortunately, I discovered that there's actually, there was actually a weightlifting class, and so I could do it during school hours and get credit for it. So I did my weightlifting in the weightlifting class, and they start out by having you max out to see how much you can lift, and then they pair you up with somebody who lifts a similar amount. And so I took this class, and there was only one person in the, in the class who was lifting the same amount of weight as I was, and her name was Heidi. Yeah, and uh, Heidi wasn't actually that strong of a gal, which was really hard for me to uh, accept. I'm, a, I'm kidding about Heidi, but I did, play, I did play football one year. It didn't go very well. 
I tried some other things. But when we don't achieve our dreams of success, our competitive nature, it doesn't go away. And sometimes what happens later on in life, we don't even realize it, but we become that parent. And we push our kids to try harder, to succeed, to study more, to work harder, to run faster. And some of you know what it's like to grow up in a home where you never felt good enough. You never felt smart enough, pretty enough, fast enough. You couldn't meet the expectations in your home. But here's my point about success. It's not wrong to try to work hard at school, to try to make the team, to try to be on the top of the, of the class. And it's not wrong to try to win at work and try to make it to the top of your field. None of that is life-wrecking. In fact, those dreams, those passions, oftentimes they come from God himself. And the Bible's full of stories of people who achieved success and even accumulated large amounts of wealth. But here's the shadow side of success. Sometimes success at a good thing, it can cause you to drift from the best thing. Sometimes success at a good thing can cause you to drift from the most important things. A few years ago, my family, we went on vacation to Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. That looks really good right now, doesn't it? Wouldn't you like to be there? I wish I was there right now. We had a great time, and uh, I'm not much of a beach person, but it was so hot and humid. We went to the beach every day, and we followed the same routine. You know, we'd get up, and we'd go to the beach, and we'd pick our spot to set up camp. You know, you, where you sit down, your towel, your sunscreen, your cooler with the food, your, your uh, book, your, your sunglasses, and you, you, you put your stuff down, not too close to anybody, but not too far away because part of the fun is to be around people, to be where the action is. And so you set up camp on the shore, and then you get into the, into the water. But let me ask you, have you ever been in the water swimming, splashing, throwing the frisbee, boogie boarding, whatever it is you do, and then you look back to the shore, and for the life of you, you can't see where you put your stuff down, and then you have this moment, moment of panic where you go, oh, no. Somebody's taken our stuff. Who's taken our stuff? You ever, you ever had that happen? And then you realize, you know what? You have drifted down far from where you set up camp on the beach. It happens quickly in the ocean because there's an undercurrent, but it can happen any place. Just by hanging out in the water, you drift further than you thought. And that's what can happen to us when we get consumed with success. We start drifting from, from what really matters, not in a day, but over time. And you know what? It can happen in your, in your marriage. You're just, you're just working hard. You know, you're just trying to pay the bills. You're just trying to be good at work. But you keep missing dinners. You keep missing date nights. You keep missing anniversaries. And we wake up one day and our spouse has drifted away. But they didn't move. We did. And it can happen with our kids. You, don't, you know, you're getting busy, so you're not spending much time with them. And, you know, you promise you're going to make it up to them on vacation. And you're just trying to make a living. But one day you wake up and you realize that you've drifted away from your kids. And it can certainly happen with God. You have a relationship with God. you got a connection with God. And you get busy and you're praying less. You're opening your Bible less. You're skipping small group more often, or maybe you're not even involved in a small group. You stop coming to gatherings like this where we come together on the weekend to worship. Maybe you start coming once a month, maybe just at Christmas or, or Easter. And then one day you wake up 
and you're not even sure that you believe in God. But who moved? It wasn't God. We're the ones that moved. And that's what happened to Solomon. Like many of us, God blessed him with great potential. God gave him so much, but he drifted and he drifted and he drifted from important things. And Solomon says, learn from me on this one. I got consumed with success and it didn't take me to the place that I wanted to go. So let's pick it up where we left off last week. And if you want to follow along, go ahead and open your Bible, turn on your phone to Ecclesiastes chapter 2. Ecclesiastes chapter 2. We're going to begin with verse 17. He says, so I came to hate life because everything done here under the sun, from my view here on earth, is so troubling. Everything is meaningless, like chasing the wind. I came to hate all my hard work here on earth, for I must leave to others everything I've earned. And who can tell whether my successors will be wise or foolish, yet they will control everything I've gained by my skill and hard work under the sun. How meaningless. He says, you can work hard. You can accumulate a lot, but one day you're going to die and, and leave it to somebody else who may or may not appreciate it, who may or may not take care of it. He continues in the next verse, verse 20, and he says, so I gave up in despair, questioning the value of all my hard work in this world. Some people work wisely with knowledge and skill, then must leave the fruit of their efforts to someone who hasn't worked for it. This too is meaningless, a great tragedy. He says, you can pour your best energy into your work, and you should. But if you are counting on achievement to bring you happiness, to be your primary source of happiness, think again. Because it, it is meaningless. It is chasing after the wind. Then he continues in verse 22 and he says, So what do people get in this life for all their hard work and anxiety? Their days of labor are filled with pain and grief. Even at night their minds cannot rest. It is all meaningless. Solomon says, I pursued success. I worked hard and I got it. And I became the wealthiest, most successful king who ever lived, but it didn't last. In Solomon's case, he had a very strained relationship with his sons, and when he uh, died, they end up tearing apart the kingdom. And you can almost hear it as a premonition in Solomon's voice. He says, I'm, I'm going to leave everything behind to others, and I don't know if they're going to take care of it. it. It's almost as if he knows what's going to happen. Success didn't satisfy him. Tom Brady's the uh, quarterback for the New England Patriots, and uh, some people like him, and uh, some people uh, don't. He's won five Super Bowls, married to a supermodel, incredibly wealthy and successful. They interviewed him on 60 Minutes after he won his third Super Bowl ring. He's won five, and uh, here's what he said, I'm making more money than I ever thought I could make playing football. Why do I think I have, or why do I have three Super Bowl rings and still think there's something greater for me? I mean, maybe a lot of people would say, hey man, this is what it is. I reached my goal, my dream for my life. Me? I think it's got to be more than this. I mean, this can't be what it's all cracked up to be. And the interviewer asked, well, what's the answer? And Brady said, I wish I knew. I wish I knew. Just like Solomon, the trophies, the championships, the titles, the corner office, the fat portfolio, the private jet, the applause, the, the, the fame, the recognition. It doesn't fill the void in my life. It's like chasing after the wind. It's meaningless. But here's what causes success to drift from a good thing to a toxic thing in our lives. And it's when we believe, when we start believing this lie. Let me show you what is, 
one of the biggest, most powerful lies that you can ever believe, that my success defines my identity. If you start believing in that lie, here's what's going to happen in your life. First, you're going to get consumed with winning, winning at all costs, because what you do determines who you are. What you do determines or defines your identity. And that's what Solomon did. He stopped viewing himself as blessed and called and radically loved by God. And remember, he's the king. I mean, he's the man. He's, God's given him power and, and wisdom and wealth. People admired him, but he allowed self-driven success to steal his identity. And what he did determined who he, who he was. Here's how this looks for us today. Here's, what we, here's the way we start thinking that if I could just be successful at blank, then I would be seen as blank. If I could just be successful at work, then I would be seen as a success. If I could just be successful at school, then I would be seen as admirable. If I could be successful at making money, then I'd be seen as secure. We wrap our identity around what we do, and that is an easy way to begin to wreck your, your life. In his book, The Life, or Let Your Life Speak, Parker Palmer tells about a time when he was offered the presidency of a large educational institution. And since this was a step up the ladder for him as a teacher, as an author, he was ready to say yes. But instead he contacted a few friends to ask their advice and ask them to pray to see if this was God's call for his life. They started out asking him easy questions and he answered them. But then somebody asked him, Parker, what would you most enjoy about this new job? And he said, well, I wouldn't like to give up teaching and studying. I wouldn't like the politics involved. I wouldn't like the fundraising associated with it. But they asked again, what would you like? And there was an even longer pause. And Parker said, well, I would like to have my picture in the newspaper with the name President underneath it. And one of Parker's friends said, couldn't you find an easier way to get your picture in the newspaper? If you believe that success determines your identity, you get consumed with winning, and it'll begin to wreck your life. And then second, you'll get caught in the comparison trap. It's so easy to play the comparison game. Your neighbor gets a 60-inch flat screen TV. You got to go out and get a 100-inch flat screen. Your neighbor goes out and gets an Acura. You got to go out and get a Mercedes. Your neighbor goes out and gets a boat, and so you go out and get an RV. Your neighbor goes out and gets an RV, and you got to go out and get a, a second home. But really, we begin playing this comparison game as kids. I grew up in West Dallas, and when I was a little kid back in the 70s, it was really a big deal to have a cool bicycle. You know, you wanted to have a cool 20-inch bike, and, and I had one. Uh, it was actually a hand-me-down from my uh, brother Jeff, but uh, it, it looked kind of like this. It was a Schwinn Stingray. Yeah, anybody, anybody remember the Schwinn Stingray? Oh, yeah. Yeah, uh, you know, a banana seat here, sissy bar. I thought it was awesome. And I would ride that thing around the block. I'm like nine years old, and I'm like the man in the neighborhood until my friend pulled up with the uh, Schwinn Pea Picker. Look at this thing, five-speed. It's got the handbrakes. It's got this little wheel. It's got this cool shock absorber uh, right here. And now I felt like a nobody because my friend had the Schwinn Pea Picker, and I had the, uh, I had the Stingray. And we get caught in comparison the rest of our lives. It drives us to keep up with our neighbors. It drives us to prove that we matter. 
And we get in this mad scramble uh, to, to prove that we matter and, and by making more and achieving more because success symbols are a way to keep score with other people. Solomon talks about this in Ecclesiastes chapter 4. He says, then I observed uh, that most people are motivated to success. Why? Why are they motivated? By their envy of their neighbors. But this too is meaningless like chasing the wind. And when comparison and envy start to drive us, we move to what Andy Stanley calls the land of er, E-R, er. So it's not enough to be pretty, you gotta be pretty er. It's not enough to be smart, you gotta be smart er. It's not enough to be strong, you gotta be strong er. It's not enough to be pretty or to be cool, you gotta be cool Er. And then after a while, we grow discontent in the land of Ur. And so we move to the land of Est, E-S-T. Instead of stronger, you got to be strong Est. Instead of prettier, you got to be pretty Est. Instead of richer, richest. And the problem is there's always somebody with Ur than you, and it never fills and satisfies that void. If you believe success defines your identity, you're going to get consumed with winning. You're going to get caught in the comparison game. And then eventually you're going to compromise your character. You'll, you'll compromise because you, you, you become so obsessed that we drift and we drift and we drift. And eventually you find yourself saying things and doing things and thinking things that you never imagined that you could do. If you have to lie, if you have to cheat, if you've got to mislead a little bit, uh, uh, abuse power, manipulate, you do it because it's a cost of doing business, right? It's what it takes to be successful in a growing competitive e- economy. Well, maybe, but not in God's economy. And when we fall for this lie that success defines my identity, we do whatever it takes, and we neglect the important stuff, the internal stuff, the character stuff, and it screws up everything. John DeButz worked as the president of AT&T for many years, a very successful president of AT&T, had tens of thousands of employees underneath him. People all around the globe admired him. Presidents would call him for advice. But one day he got sick, and nobody came to visit him in the hospital. Nobody called him. Nobody sent him a card or a note. And he said, the only one there was the one that I had largely ignored for 30 years, my wife. He had wealth, he had power, he had access to the most powerful people in the world, but it didn't give him a sense of self-worth. I mean, success at work, making more money, climbing the ladder, those are not bad goals. But they make lousy gods. And that's what happens to Solomon, and that's what happens to many of us. We start chasing an image, and it steals our identity, and it pulls us you know, far away from the deep satisfaction that only God can give. And so here's what this means. For anyone here who feels driven by success, for anyone here who has words echoing in your head telling you you're never going to amount to anything, and so you spend the rest of your life trying to prove them wrong. For every one of us who's trying to achieve in order to outrun feeling insignificant, listen to Solomon. Don't wreck your life over it. It's not worth it. Stop trying to be successful to become someone. 
Don't drift and drift and drift and compromise your character. Compromise your relationships. Don't compromise your marriage and your family because this is a lie. Success does not determine your identity. Here's what scripture says. Here's the truth. My identity determines my success. Think about that. My identity determines my success. How do you define your identity? How valuable are you? Listen, you are worth the life and the blood and the death and the resurrection of almighty God's only son, Jesus Christ. And if we could get that straight in our minds and in our hearts, we could walk away from the comparison game. We could walk away from keeping score and we could walk into the arms of God, into the arms of loving people, people that we love. And we could say, I don't have to prove my self-worth because I'm a treasured son. I'm a treasured daughter of the most high God. God established my worth on Good Friday when Jesus went to the cross and bought and, and purchased me and bought me with his blood. I don't need to add to my worth by winning another trophy, purchasing another symbol, achieving another level of success uh, to try to be significant because Jesus established my value once and for all. I am a son. That's who I am. I'm a daughter of the king of kings. I've got royal blood flowing in, in my veins. That's who I am. And if you would open your heart and mind to that reality and bask in the awareness of the truth of what the God of the universe paid for you, it would change your entire sense of, of worth, your entire sense of identity because you've already won. You're already successful. God formed you. God knit you together. God gifted you. God loves you now and forever. How could you be more successful than that? And so what if we embrace our identity and success in Jesus and feel secure, live with that foundation? And what if we begin living today with the end of our lives in mind. Do you ever think about that? Do you ever think about what do you want people to say about you after, you after you pass away? What do you want people to say about you at your funeral? You know, I've thought about that, and I know what I want people to say at, at my uh, funeral. Look, he's moving. That'd be awesome. I think that'd be great. I've done many funerals um, over the years, and Whenever I do a funeral, I sit down with the people closest to the deceased. And here's what I ask them. What do you remember good about this person? What good things do you remember about them? And you know what I've never heard in all the years I've done funerals? I've never heard anybody say, oh, he was such a good CEO. I've never heard anybody say, I'm glad they own so much stuff. Never heard anybody say, I can't believe I got to spend my entire life with somebody who got straight A's all through school all through their life. What do you want your kids? What do you want your brother, your sister, your spouse? What do you want your friends to say about you at your funeral? You ever thought about that? You know, I've heard it put this way that failure is to succeed at something that doesn't really matter. Yeah, you know, it makes me think that that when it's all said and done, if my legacy, if your legacy is just a few plaques on the wall, a few pieces of recognition, if it consists of just a, a nice financial portfolio, you may have looked successful, but if that's it, 
you never really lived. You never really loved because you left God out of it. You chased an image, but you didn't chase, you didn't chase after God. And you, and you missed the point of life. I want to succeed at things that matter, don't you? I think you do, and I think that's why you're here today. And so I want to share with you an illustration that really helped, helped me to see things more clearly in my life. Time management teachers will oftentimes use this illustration. It's called the I-beam illustration. Maybe you've heard it before. <clears throat> Imagine an I-beam, steel I-beam, uh, nine inches wide, 100 yards long, and it's 12 inches above the ground. And on the other end of it, somebody's holding up a $1,000 bill. Would you walk that 100-yard I-beam for $1,000? Yeah, I would. Probably most of us. Probably most of us here uh, would do that. But let's say we took that I-beam, 100 yards, and we lifted, we raised it way high in the air, several hundred feet, over a deep gorge. Okay, and it's sagging a little bit in the middle, and wind is, is, is blowing. And uh, now would you cross that I-beam for $1,000? <laughs> Not me. $5,000? I wouldn't. There, there's no amount of money that would make me walk across that beam. But what if it meant rescuing another person? Time management teachers will say that, that what you will walk across that beam for reveals what, what really matters uh, to you. And so I asked myself, what would make me walk across? First of all, for any member of my family, Marnie, Taylor, Will, Ryan, I would walk across for them. Second, I would walk across if God asked me to. I want to live with a, a surrendered spirit, and I want to do what God wants me to do. I would obey. Third, I would walk across for someone who was far from God and didn't have hope for eternity through Jesus. If it meant saving somebody from hell, I would walk across. Now, if, you're, if you already follow Jesus, Okay, uh, you're fine. You're going to be fine. Okay, I'm not coming across for you. I love you, but uh, you're going you're to love heaven. You're going to enjoy it. And uh, you wouldn't walk across for me either. I, I, I get that. But if it would save somebody from going to hell, I'd walk across that beam because that's the mission God gave us. And so I would walk across for some of you here who are far from God and don't know Jesus because Jesus died on a cross so that you could have a relationship with God now and, and forever. Well, that illustration helped me to see things uh, more clearly, helped me to see my priorities, uh, my, my goals more, more, more clearly. Someone said great leaders are great eliminators. And so what we have to do in life is we, we've got to eliminate some good things so that we can give our time and attention to the best things. We, we have to eliminate some good things so that we can give our time and attention to the most important things. There's a verse in, in 1 Timothy chapter 6, and I love the way the, the Living Bible paraphrases it. It says, some people have missed the most important thing, the most important thing in life. They don't know God. They missed it. And you can have success at everything else but if you don't know God, the God who made you, the God who formed you, the God who loves you, the God who established your worth once and for all on a cross, then you've missed the most important thing in life. 
Let's bow our heads together for a moment of reflection and prayer. Can I ask you, have you fallen for the lie that success defines your identity? And so you get all consumed with winning. You get caught up in a comparison trap. Maybe you've even drifted and compromised your character in some ways. Maybe you've just settled for good things, but you've missed out on the most important things. Are there some priorities that need to be realigned today? Some relationships that need to be recalculated? Are you one of those people who has missed the most important thing in life? You don't know God. You've not entered into a relationship with him through his son, Jesus Christ. Well, today you could decide to do that. Would you say yes to him today? Would you decide to put your faith in Jesus today? Would you decide to walk in a new direction in your life today? You say, how could I do that? Well, it could start with a prayer right now. Just silently, you could pray. I'll, I'll, I'll guide you. You could pray, God, today is the, is the turning point for me. Tell him, I'm coming in your direction. I'm saying yes to Jesus. I'm saying yes to a relationship with you. I want the payment Jesus made on the cross to pay for my sin. If you're making that decision, would you let us know so that we can celebrate with you and we can encourage you? And would you take your first step of obedience as a follower of Jesus in baptism? If you've never been uh, baptized in three weeks, we're having a baptism celebration in all of our services and it'd be a great weekend to do it. Think about that. Pray about that. And... And if you want to do it, just fill out the card in the seat back and drop that off at the Welcome Center or the Connect Wall. God, sometimes we're just cruising through life and the speed just seems to go faster and faster and faster. And we're not even thinking about whether or not we're on the right path. And sometimes we gradually drift. And God, we thank you for your patience with us. Thank you for the wisdom of Solomon to help us make a mid-course correction. Thank you that our identity is in you and that we're already accepted and secure and significant and loved. Thank you that you have once and for all proven our worth by buying us with the high price of your son. And God, we celebrate with those who have decided to move toward the most important thing in their life today in these moments to know you. And we lift our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, typically when people celebrate success or an accomplishment, they have an award ceremony, maybe they receive a, a trophy. Every weekend we have a celebration ceremony called communion that reminds us of our true identity in, in Jesus. And uh, it is a celebration uh, ceremony. The bread and the juice represent the body and the blood of, of Jesus. And, and during communion today, we're going to scroll some verses on the screen to remind us of who we are, remind us of our identity in Jesus. And then after we celebrate communion, we're going to sing together, and you're going to see a video of several people who just spontaneously on Easter weekend a couple of weeks ago decided to make a commitment to Jesus and get baptized. Baptism is picturing with your life what Jesus did with his life. Jesus was on the cross. He dies and he gets buried in a tomb. And then he raises back. And here you are. You, you get buried under the water. 
and then you rise up to live a new life, and you're saying, I want to follow after Jesus. And so if you've never done that, three weeks from today would be a great weekend for you to really embrace and really celebrate your, your new identity in Jesus through, through baptism. Just stop at the uh, connect wall, you know, after the service. If you have any uh, questions, we'd love to talk with you, and uh, we'd love to help you.